If you enjoy and would love to support this podcast, please check us out on Patreon. We are www.patreon.com forward slash aaopera. Hello, hello, and welcome back to AA Opera Podcast, episode 48. We are back. Oh, it's so good to be here again. Season four has kicked off. We hope you're enjoying it so far. Do you have to say, though, today's episode is like the biggest hug everyone needs right now. Like listening to it, I was like, oh, this is why I love this person so much. And I can't wait for me to actually meet this person, which we will get to in a minute. But first, how's your week been? Um, It's been a really good week, you know, this one. Um, <laughs> I've had my hair done. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I can't. I, I've seen your hair down for the first time since February. This is a very big deal. I mean, like... That is literally the highlight of my week. <laughs> I mean, not nothing much. Highlight has... of your month at this point. Well, like yeah, November. That's so true. I mean, I just feel um, I feel like it had to be done for uh, for Christmas time and stuff. Um, but yeah, I haven't worn my hair down in months, and so now I'm just constantly flicking my hair. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, the usual and the highlight was getting my hair done. Nothing much more to say than that. <laughs> I have to say though, the simple things in life that we've learned through COVID. I know, I know, and I really appreciate that, yeah, I really appreciate it, um, and I want to like, I want to hope that there's no more lockdown, so I can actually keep on top of it, yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, all the things crossed, all the things crossed. <laughs> um, but what have you been up to, Avi? I'm very excited, because tonight, this we're recording this on Thursday, and tonight is the first night of Hanukkah, so... And I, I said to my partner, we are going all out this year on Hanukkah, like, uh, yeah. all the fried food. Now, m- I've been very obsessed with Christmas chocolate so far, so my skin is not too happy about it. And now I'm going to add the oiliness of Hanukkah. <laughs> and, ho oh, ho, it's going to be so much fun. Oh, that sounds yeah, amazing. I'm really excited because we're going to light candles tonight. And then, um, I just have a really exciting week ahead. And I just... I did a free trial and then I cancelled it right away, so I would get like a week worth of movie watching on Now TV. Oh, you will have to report back on that one. Okay, so the only reason I did it was because I really wanted to, I listened to Emma on Audible and I really wanted to watch the film that came out in beginning of 2020, but it cost £12 on Amazon. Wow. And I was like, you might as well just buy the DVD. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, oh, you'll really enjoy that movie, by the way. I watched it right away. (laughs) And then I watched the same night. And then I watched Last Christmas because it was also on there. So I really (laughs) liked Last Christmas. And um, I have to say, I loved the aesthetics aesthetics of the movie. Yes. But right after reading the book, it like it wasn't it really just wasn't as good as the book and I was really disappointed I've heard a lot of people say that see I haven't read the book um so I you know I was taken away by it all but I can understand you know it on a classic like that you know it was just because it was missing like severe plot points that were really well thought out in the book that were really unclear in the film and if I hadn't known like the book I don't Mm. think I would have caught up but I don't know. What did you feel like? Well, as I say, like I, th- I just thought I thought it was great. Um, 
I, I I think I was just taken away by the whole aesthetic of it. I love that period. Um, but I, as I say, I haven't read the book, so I didn't notice any plot holes I mean, or anything like that. I mean, the characters were played out extremely well, and Miranda Hart. <sighs> She's an icon. She's just an icon. I've loved her for years. <laughs> Absolutely obsessed with her. Ever since I saw her on um, Call the Midwife, I'm just like, you are pure genius. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Anyway, maybe we should just add like a, a movie review section on the end of this maybe. podcast. Maybe I think that's, that's a great idea. <laughs> Listeners, please uh, let us know if you would like a movie section. Anyway, I think it's time to introduce this week's guest, and it is the delightful Edward Nelson, baritone. Edward is a real emerging artist and uh, is, has become well known in the UK for winning the Glyndebourne Opera Cup. Uh, so it's, it's been really great to hear all about that and all about his latest projects. He has been lucky enough to perform this month. Yes, with that being said, because of the new COVID restrictions, the performance of Figaro that he was in has been delayed. Uh, sorry, not, not Figaro. Barbara of Seville has been delayed, but still you can find it on the Oslo's um, Opera House website. But he is really the like the motivation you all need to just stick to doing what you love, like oh. doing what you love and not just focusing on the voice either. Like it was great to hear about his um, side hustles, hobbies, and how he relaxes and. Um, about performance anxiety the 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 podcast is packed so i think we're just gonna dive on in and let you guys enjoy well hello today tonight wherever you are um we're we're joined by baritone edward nelson eddie thank you so much for joining us would you like to start off by just introducing yourself to our listeners sure uh my name is edward nelson um as you as as you just called me my nickname is eddie um even though it, it really makes people cringe to call me that sometimes of a certain generation they think it's really like not not done to call a, a man of 32 eddie um but you know that is my name <laughs> um i am uh, I, it is daytime here i am calling from san francisco which is where I live. And uh, yeah, I'm an American baritone. I just recently won the, the Glyndebourne Cup. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure we'll, we, will, we will talk a lot more about that very soon. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you know, life's, uh, life's going just like everyone else through this, mm. through this crazy time that we're all in right yeah, now. Yeah, and I'm sure by the time this episode actually exactly, airs, something yeah. crazy has happened. Ha- would have happened and hopefully a good crazy thing but yes hopefully a good crazy thing on november 3rd in america yes i've already <laughs> sent in my ballot yes <laughs> yes me too <laughs> but um eddie can you tell us a little bit about what was the first experience of opera and in general performance that you had what was your first experience well with opera believe it or not my first opera that i ever heard was um it was on a, it was on a date when i was 17 years That's old and date. this person that i was seeing was a was a conductor and he said oh i'm going to play this great this great opera it's called Wozzeck. <laughs> <laughs> so right exactly and uh 
<laughs> you know, so that was actually my first opera that I ever heard was by Alban Berg. Um, that, wow. And straight up, I mean, for our, list, for our listeners, our faces just all like dropped there. <laughs> um, and, you know, it was, uh, but, you know, I was guided through it, you know, on this date. And for I, I ended up leaving uh, thinking that it was really fantastic and that I was something I wanted to explore more. So, um, yeah, then I saw Mozart opera, which was great. My, then my first real opera was Cosi Fan Tutte. Um, and uh, it was just a little college production. Um, and, uh, you know, I was I was into it. I was like, what are these people doing screaming their heads off on stage? It's awesome. It was pretty awesome. And you thought, why not? Why not? Why not pursue a career well, in that? <laughs> well, yeah. And it sort of chose, it, I, I, I usually say it chose me because, you know, when I was, um, I was a jack of all trades when I was younger. I, I played piano. I sang jazz. I, I did musical theater, straight theater. Um, and, you know, I also went to voice lessons. Um, some of which were, you know, after my voice changed, I, I remember coming back to my voice teacher and saying, uh, I want to sing something in a foreign language. That's, that's how I prompted this, uh, this exploration. And then, of course, she brings out the, the old Shermer 24 Italian art songs. <laughs> uh, you know, and that's, and that's sort of how I got started. So I wasn't really aware of true opera until I was to go to uh, music school. Um, uh, when I applied to to colleges, it was for kind of general voice degrees because I I used my hmm. my voice and my music uh, skills in so many different ways at that point that I didn't really know enough to to commit to one thing or another. So um, I ended up starting at a state school in California in a general voice degree where I was invited into the opera group. Um, and that was my first exposure to to opera was when I was in college, 18. Um, and then, you know, the rest is a dream and a nightmare. <laughs> I have a follow up question. Then, yeah. what was your first um, musical theater experience? Because it seems like that was more of a first love then. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, like every good little American musical theater person, my first my first musical was Annie. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, was, that was, that was more, that more came from, uh, I, I had, I was a freshman in, in high school. I was, I started in choir and that was kind of my first time singing in a choir, singing with other singers. And, um, mm. of course, you know, the friendships that come from that, that kind of musical relationship are really strong. And I had all these friends who were involved in this high school musical theater troupe. And, um, and so I wanted to hang out with them. So I, I went and I auditioned for the, the musical and I got in and I was, I was Bert Healy, who is the kind of skeezy, uh, you know, radio host yeah. that, you know. You'll yeah. never fully You'll never dress. fully dress without a smile. <laughs> never fully dress without a smile. Um, and I, yeah, I just, that was, that was, it was, it was very eye-opening. And more, more so because it yeah. was like the, the relationships that you have from being in the theater and from making a show or, or being in a choir with someone are just so, so strong and potent. And that is really the strongest memory of my first musical theater experience is, is the bond that comes from making theater. That's 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think for me anyway, I think that that bond that you experience in high school from doing productions, that, that was probably one of the main reasons why I wanted to pursue performance. Right. I just love that connection. Right. And, uh, you know, when I talk to my, my, I'll call them muggle friends, the non, the non-musicians, um, to reference Harry Potter, even though are we allowed to do that? So, so it's a minefield. <laughs> yeah, it's a minefield. It's Who a knows? minefield. Um, yeah, you know, they, they, you don't realize until you talk to someone who's not in the theater and not in music that uh, we have it really easy as far as it, as it, as making friendships, you know, because we're given yeah. this constant influx of people that we meet in choir or meet in a show or meet in, you know, this cast or that cast, that then you have this ever expanding network um, that never really stops. Yeah. And most of which are quite, um, you know, open and confident and friendly people. Right. Really and normal adults don't really meet people. Yeah. Like, you know, unless yeah. they, they, and, you know, entering into like a book club situation or, you know, <laughs> I, I honestly don't know how they do it. <laughs> It's just when you talk about Annie in a high school play yeah. in America, I'm kind of like, oh, have you seen Encore on Disney Plus? Oh <laughs> I've not. I've I I have been saving my pennies and resisting the yet another subscription to something. But is it worth? Is it worth it? The Disney Plus. I have. To... Well, I subscribed to Disney Plus for Encore and then came off of it. Okay. <laughs> so, All right. It's worth okay. it. Okay. <laughs> Just binge it in the seven day trial. Oh, yeah. It's easy. <laughs> <laughs> we're still in we're still in lockdown um, over here in America, so that shouldn't be too yeah. hard. In the piano. And am I right in thinking was it your uncle was a concert pianist? Is that my is that uncle correct? yes, my uncle uh that was sort of my, you know, you, you asked my first exposure to, to opera, but my first exposure to classical music was through my uncle, who is, you know, save for my uncle, we are the only two, um, you know, people who decided to pursue music professionally, um, or really educatively. Um, no one, no one else went to school for it. And, um, and he went to Juilliard in the 80s when they were, you know, four solo pianists in the entire school and it was really like quite something to go there um mm. and then he took a fulbright over to switzerland and and ended up staying over there but every summer he would come back to la which is where i'm from and we would go to um, the hollywood bowl which is this eighteen thousand seat outdoor amphitheater the summer home of the los angeles philharmonic and um that's that's really where I, I got my first exposure and uh, I loved it so much that when I was 17 uh, I one of my only jobs that I've I've had two jobs uh, that did not involve my voice one of my one of which was my first job at a sales associate at Pottery Barn <gasps> during <laughs> that was my first job ever and my second job was an, being an usher at the Hollywood Bowl and I did that for two summers, and and that's where I I saw a lot of uh, things for the first time, heard a lot of things for the first time. And the great thing about that uh, venue in particular is actually that it's not just for classical music. Two nights a week in the summer are for the Los Angeles Philharmonic, and then 
you know, they usually have a jazz night on a Wednesday where they have all different sorts of people. And then the weekend spectacular on Friday and Saturday, which is like John Williams conducts Star Wars and, uh, you know, all these, all these things like that. Um, all of which were totally fascinating and enlightening. Uh, but yes, to go back to your original question, my uncle was the one who <laughs> inducted yeah. me into this, uh, into this world. And do you think that having this piano as like a backbone was, ex was helpful in then transitioning into singing? I mean, for me, I can't imagine being a singer and not playing piano. Um, it must be so difficult <laughs> because I, as far as learning music, as far as, um, especially difficult music, modern music, things that you aren't sometimes don't have a recording or sometimes don't have a good recording. Um, you know, it's really, it would be really difficult to imagine me learning music or preparing for a role without playing the piano because I have, for me, I have to understand how I fit into a, a given texture, how I fit into a given harmony, if there are multiple singing, uh, multiple people singing at the same time. Um, and, you know, oftentimes I'm not really, since I've begun my traveling uh, career, I'm not often in a place where I know a coach or know a teacher or know someone that I can work with to prepare my next project. So that, you know, falls on me a lot of the time. Uh, so mm -hmm. for me, I think it's, I think it's absolutely necessary. <laughs> it also saves you a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. Um, so back to sort of your path to becoming a, an opera singer. I wanted to ask, was it what you planned, like the, the journey to it? So after, um, after your training um, at college and things, what, what was the path like? What was your path? And was it what you expected? Yeah, as as I went through school, in fact, well, as I had just, uh, as I begun to talk about, I didn't start on a path, you know, I sort of just put myself in a music school. My major happened to be voice. I was, you know, invited then to try out for the opera department, try out for the jazz choir, try out for all these things. And, and opera ended up sort of being the, the place that I landed. And then after I had decided that sort of begun me on this journey of discovering repertoire, discovering composers, discovering all sorts of music that I was attracted to. Um, and after two years at this state school that I started at, I went to a, I transferred to a proper conservatory of music in Cincinnati, Ohio. Um, big culture shock for the Southern California boy <laughs> going to the Midwest. Um, and I spent six and a half years there. And while I was there, when I, be, when I started there, I was really, I was not a wunderkind. I really was not. I, there was, I, I had no idea what I was doing with my voice. I had no idea what I was doing on stage. Um, and if I was immediately around people who knew exactly what they were doing and knew exactly where they wanted to go yeah. and exactly the things they wanted to audition for and the roles they wanted to do. And I had no idea. And so me being the, the ever practical modern person, uh, 
I tried to always look at my training in Cincinnati in a way that um, gave credit to the other skills that I was building, you know, the the knowledge of repertoire, the knowledge of, you know, the building of taste uh, in what you like in a singer or in music or um, a production. That's, those are useful skills. And so I was always thinking, well, if I need to sidestep and go into administration, if I need to, um, if I need to sidestep and do use these skills for something else, uh, I actually was always happy to do that in my mind because my goal was never to be a famous opera singer, be a successful opera singer that only made money from that. My goal was to live a life in art. And, you know, if I kept that noble general idea uh, and let it guide my daily actions and the things that I chose to participate in. Um, I, I usually came to success at the end of it. Um, and that's sort of how I ended up with a on the path to opera. So after the six, six years in Cincinnati, I was invited out to participate in the Merrill Opera Program, which is the summer program of San Francisco Opera to sing the title role of Don Giovanni. And after that summer, I was invited to stay for the two-year residency in San Francisco, which is called the Adler Fellowship, um, their, their Young Artist Program. And, you know, and then through the course of that, I got a manager and I had sang this audition and that audition, and then it was, and then it was on, the, on the road. But, you know, I always say, if anything had happened one month, one year sooner, I would be, you know, I would not be where I am because when you're in a place like San Francisco, uh, when you're in a three, 3,200 seat house and you have, you know, XYZ famous conductor in front of you and they're sort of just arms crossed waiting for brilliance, um, you know, that's not a place to be if you don't know what you're doing, if, if you're still figuring it out. Yeah. You know, because then that's a risk because then you're there having this opportunity and you're actually missing the opportunity. Um, mm. So, yeah, I always I always like to take stock of the fact that that my path was very slow and I needed it to be slow. Yeah, I think it's it's really healthy to to embrace that. And it sounds like that's so refreshing to hear that you just aspire to have a career in yeah. art like that. That is just so <laughs> well, healthy. who is anyone to I mean, <laughs> you know, forgive me for maybe being bold, but like, we all know what this performing arts career is, you know, it's risky, mm. you know, the top 0.001% are the people that are going to, um, you know, quote, unquote, make it. Um, and that's a that's just way too small of a percentage to for, you know, that would require a real, yeah. a real uh, different kind of self confidence and self esteem. <laughs> um, really yeah. think like yeah that's for me like I, like i zero 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 one percent you know that's not um you know and especially now in the modern age with you know it's no longer the age of seventy thousand dollar a night fees like you know uh gwyneth jones yeah. for singing brunhilde or whatever um that's not that's not yeah. the world we're living in now we're 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 all we all have to be scrappy and we all have to cobble together you know, some semblance of a, a life in music, however, however, 
we need to do that. But there's also the interesting thing that you were saying about exactly. timing and everything. If anything happened a month earlier, you wouldn't have been prepared for it. And I think that's really important to for our listeners to understand that, like, it's okay if it doesn't happen right away. You will only be more prepared for it when it does happen. Yeah, and, and to go back to the Glyndebourne Cup, that was the first competition that I had done since I, I was 32, or I was just uh, just shy, I was 31. Uh, I turned 32 one month later. Um, and the, the last competition I had done before that was the Metropolitan Opera competition when I was 24. And it was my first time, so, so that's, you know, an eight year gap in, in competition. There are some kids who are out there, you know, doing Operalia and Glyndebourne Cup and Belvedere and all these crazy internet Neuestimmen and all these things when they're 22, 23, 24. And there are some people that are really, really ready for that. And like more power to them. That is incredible. Go you. Um, that absolutely was not me. I got to the stage of when I, when I did the Met, it was my first and only time doing the Met competition. And it's multi-round. It's similar to Glyndebourne. You have to do a district round and then a regional round. And then if you get past those two, you're invited to the stage of the Met with, you know, 20 other semifinalists. And then you get whittled down to finalists when you're there. So, you know, cut to 24-year-old Eddie stepping out onto the stage of the Met at not having any real clue. My My list, my aria list was the craziest thing. It was like, Bandini and the Pearl Fishers uh, and Papageno. <laughs> and like, I just had no clue. Like, that seems like a baritone um, voice. I'm going to put that in. That's going to work. Yeah, exactly. Like, sh that's what I can sing and not crack. So that's cool. Um, yeah, it was very pragmatic. <laughs> it was like, what can I get through? And what is what is kind of off the beaten path enough that I'm not going to be compared to every single other baritone yeah. on earth? Um, yeah. And honestly, that's how I got through a lot of my early careers, like not singing. I didn't sing the Largo, uh, you know, Figaro from Barbara of Seville until I was 29 <laughs> or 30 years old. Um, I just like didn't touch that aria. And same with the Count's aria from from Noce di Figaro, I was, it was, I was not going near that stuff that everyone sang because I knew that I couldn't sing it as well as all these other young people that were singing that at the time in the conservatory and things. Good for you. I mean, it's just being very self, it's just being very self-aware and, and very sensible about, yeah. you know, you are, what you choose but, to but sing. But the point about that being, the point about the Met being that, that I bombed the semifinal. <laughs> Like when I left, that's like the litmus test of singing. Like, can you sing at yeah. the Met? Like, I actually yeah. proved to myself that no, I actually can't right now. Right now, but it, um, it's right now. Right now, no, yes, yes, I. Can. But you know that um, stuff like that is so easy to get set back by, and so easy to convince yourself that because you're not doing things in the same time frame as someone else. You know, if I had won the Met that year, I, I often think about if things had gone differently and I had won the Met or I had gotten this audition or that audition uh, and been invited to a certain program and met a certain teacher, the whole path would be different. Yeah. Um, 
and mm -hmm. and so I am here, 32, uh, you know, having only just won a big competition because of all the all the past failures, quote unquote failures, you know. Um, you yeah. bring that segue yeah. so nicely into our next question, which is, um, <laughs> as you said, you did recently win the Glyndebourne Cup, and um, which is one of the bigger competitions in the world. What was that experience like, and how did you find auditioning in the UK or competing in the UK compared to, well, the Met, for example? Sure, sure. <laughs> well, it was... Um... You know, it was a very international competition. So it was the UK, uh, you know, well, let me go back. Actually, I, I covered at Glyndebourne in 2018 with a role that I have sung a few times, Peleos. And even though I had sung proper productions of it, uh, I accepted this kind of last minute cover offer because it's Glyndebourne. And you don't, you know, you you don't say no to Glyndebourne. <laughs> you go. <laughs> yes. You just go. You pack a bag, you yep. go. <laughs> you, go. <laughs> you don't have anywhere to live, figure it out. Um, and uh, I expected to like it. Uh, I expected to be in awe. But I truly could not have expected at the end of it all to, to really be saying, like, I would come back to mop the floor. Like, I would come back in any in, to work in the gift shop. Like, it is just such a place of inspiration and talent and, and easy, easy talent. Like, n no one's there trying to, you know, puff themselves up like a peacock. Like, everyone's kind of just chill about how great they are, um, which makes for this <laughs> really special environment. Because even when you go to fancy schmancy places, you know, there's a lot of ego. There's a lot of real ego to work through with certain colleagues and certain people and certain directors and conductors and there really was none of that at Glyndebourne and if there should if it should be anywhere it should be there because they are so talented yeah. and they are so completely in control of their art so step one was okay I'm going back to this very special place to me for this competition um, and then you know secondly the way I felt during the competition was, um, you know, I did a lot of work in just trying to focus on how comfortable I could make myself feel with myself. In those, in those contexts, it's so easy to get distracted by the competitors and how you might feel about how they're singing, you know, if they sound really good and, or how they might be treating you based on how they how stressed they feel. There's all these other inputs that can throw you off uh, feeling excited to be there, you know? And so I yes. had this reference point of like, I'm going back to Glyndebourne, I'm excited to be there. How do I keep that feeling? Um, mm. And really it just had a lot to do with like not letting other people's competition stress get to me. And I remember writing in my journal like, what if you just allow yourself to be in awe of, of other people? Like, you know, as opposed to hearing someone great and freaking out and being like, I'm not gonna win, you know? which <laughs> uh, you might not win anyway. <laughs> like, so the, the point being like, 
what's it gonna what harm is it gonna do to just let yourself be in awe of of the people around you and to to be like a happy presence for them to be around you know you're only gonna make yeah. good when when you're doing those things i love that i love that and that who who are you in awe of? I'd love to know who your main musical influences are and who are your um, who inspires you. Well, I love. Uh, for, I mean, for for baritones, it's easy because you know I just go to the people that I have modeled myself after. Um, one of which was on the panel for Glyndebourne, Thomas Thomas Allen. Good old Thomas Allen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No one, no one is a sturdier baritone than, than Tom Allen. I mean, really um, <laughs> infallible in my mind. Um, but I really love, I love Jesse Norman. I love, um, and there's also a, a group of, of singers that I feel, um, I, have this I have this term that I, that I often use called, uh, and I, when, I, when I say I'm not a perfect singer, like there are some, perfect singers in the sense that like every time they open their mouth the sound that they utter is going to be beautiful is going to be some stunning glittering thing and that is so not me the 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 sound that i make is connected to the role is connected to the interpretation of the text is connected to all of this stuff you know a, a montserrat caballé technician i am not um so i tend to gravitate towards artists like that and you know in that of that ilk, I would say Lorraine Hunt Lieberson is a great example. You know, her, the sound, at, at this point she's, she's infallible in the, you know, in the, um, the lexicon of 20th century performers. But, you know, if you go back and watch things, she's not making the most beautiful sound all the time, but it's connected to what she's doing. It's connected to what she's trying to say. So no one even has a thought about it. Um, and that's something that I try to focus on when I prepare. Um, you know, it's so easy to get caught in your ears and and get uh, held up by, you know, trying to sing the high note in the, per the most perfect uh, technical way. But what I've learned in actually being out in the profession is that like that so does not matter most of the time. It matters for your longevity. It matters for your vocal health and for, um, you know, your ability to maintain uh, and sing the rest of a role or the rest of the run of shows or whatever. So you need to not be fatiguing yourself. But at the same time, if it's connected, if it's a connected performance, it, it's, um, it's actually okay. <laughs> yeah. I love I love the imperfect singers. But you know, Thomas Allen is a really great example. Like every time he sings, it Beautiful. is glorious and magnificent and he can just do anything he can sing loud and quiet and like, <laughs> you know he has full control and it's fine um <laughs> but uh you know i i i that has never been me so i haven't tried to make myself into that i've tried to i've tried to work with what i have and to express with the 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 toolbox that i have um as we've all had to change the way we live in the last couple of months over lockdown it seems that you've gained a new hobby um has it changed your or enhanced your creativity have you been able to like keep up the motivation and stuff like that or you know what has lockdown taught you so 
I have a new hobby. It's uh, it's it has to do with music production and uh, other various electronic music toys. But it all started with um, with this microphone that I'm using now, actually, in that <laughs> I had gone. I just won the Glyndebourne Cup before the truly seven days or five days before all the lockdowns started happening and. So then I found myself back in uh, California and all the organizations in April, like San Francisco Opera or the St. Louis Symphony uh, were writing me and saying, oh, can you, like a lot of people, can you record something from your living room so we can post it on social media? And um, to me, there's nothing worse than opera on an iPhone microphone. Mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't get any of the overtones. It doesn't get any, any anything. Um, really, nothing could translate that one skill worse. Um, and so I thought, okay, I'll invest in a little microphone. Um, so the microphone arrives. And what no recording technician has ever told us as singers is what dark magic has to go into the production of the audio engineering and production on the back end to make something even sound like it does in the room. Like it's a whole, uh, it's a whole, it's almost like they have whole schools for it. Um, (laughs) But uh, the whole, it's a whole subject. And I became totally fascinated and I had nothing but free time. So I sat down, I taught myself, what's called Logic, which is the audio workstation for for Apple and Mac. Um, I taught myself from a textbook because I was up on a ranch with uh, no internet. And I would sit and I would do my lessons every morning and learn, you know, okay, this is, this is how a reverb works. This is how, uh, you know, a delay works. And this is how you use this in a practical way to make audio from a microphone sound good. So it all started kind of as a a journey to find a better way to record my operatic singing. Um, and then a very quickly spiraled downhill to include lots of electronic music toys and synthesizers and, um, you know, basically all the things that we hear in every modern uh, non-classical record um, from country to pop to rock to to whatever. and. Um, I think I was so instantly connected to it, not because I imagine that this will be another part of my actual career, but but just because it's another way to connect to music. You know, I listen to pop records differently now because I hear so much more detail. I, I can I can define what's going on. It's kind of like when we are learning about opera and counterpoint and all these sorts of things and then we go and listen to a mozart finale um and and we're able to hear better what's going on and and how he's using the instruments to create a certain effect um so for me it's just been a great creative burst of of non-acoustic music making which I have to say, has been a bomb for the soul when the only acoustic music making I can make is in the small room that I'm in right now. <laughs> you know, I, I miss a big room. I really do. I miss hearing overtones, you know, 
20 yards away like <laughs> yeah yeah that's awesome though that's really cool that you've just gone out there and just picked up this this brand new hobby and started from yeah. scratch it's really you know cool. and now as now as now as traveling life is picking up i i do have to choose among my children as to who who gets to come uh <laughs> to to my next gigs with me but um that's part of the fun and you know also restriction is part of the fun because you can have all the toys in the world but and you can in theory be able to do anything but uh restricting yourself and only taking one of your synthesizer toys also has its other benefits in that it, it makes you be more creative kind of like the singers you know kind of like the singers now we have to be more creative with how we make music and how we share art with people what has been your favorite role to play so far and do you have any dream roles that you aspire to play? Well, you know, naturally my dream role, I have to complete the circle. So my dream role is Votek. <laughs> yeah, right? of course. <laughs> no, you, that's when you save for the end, when you're just ready to just blow it all out of the water. Scream, you know, <laughs> all crazy sorts of things. Yeah, I've made every pretty sound and now I'm like every ugly sound. Yeah. <laughs> um, for the service of, of the drama, of course. I mean, there is no, there's, I truly, that is a special piece of, of theater, I will say. Mm. Music, but mostly theater. Um, yeah. my, my role that I have played and I love the most has to be Peleas in, in Peleas and Melisande. Mm. I've done it now. I've been involved in three productions, including the cover at Glyndebourne. And it's a very specific thing. It's written for a fach that doesn't really exist anymore called Bariton Martin, which is like in between a baritone and a tenor, but decidedly a baritone. Um, and when you're singing that piece, like you're, you're convinced that it's the best music in the entire world. And it, it really is. Um, and I see how it's difficult for some audiences. You know, it's slow moving. If you don't speak French and you're not, and you're not um, taking stock of the genius use of symbolism in the text, uh, you know, or if you're saddled with some sort of like bad production that that mm. doesn't highlight the genius of the of the melding of the text and the music, um, I, I see how some people could could poo poo it. But really. It is such a special piece and and dramatically i think he's a fascinating character and i think the drama of that piece in particular how everything is everyone's kind of talking past each other uh offers mm -hmm. a lot of really beautiful dramatic choices um depending on the production and yeah and i think it's it is a specific voice type that can do it and not many people can so i think that i have this connection to it because it's something that I feel special to, to be able to do. Yeah. But, but, and truly, <laughs> truly Votek is a dream role, but we do save that for the end. Um, <laughs> and, um, but other than that, I mean, I, mean, I sang uh, one production of Hamlet in a very kind of grassroots production just after I finished the Young Artist Program in San Francisco. Um, just for the opportunity to try it, you know, for, for hardly any money. And uh, we did it in a giant abandoned warehouse. Um, 
this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I would love to the chance to do it for for real, you know, in a real grand opera setting, how it was meant with the ballet and with the chorus and with all the bells and whistles that that make um, the, the execution of that huge feat possible. Because kind of similarly to um, to Peleos, I feel like it really requires a specific voice type. It requires someone with easy high notes, but like a, some some heft. And um, when I was singing it, I guess five years ago now, I I was thinking to myself, oh, I can't wait to sing this in five years, <laughs> you know. Um, and now I feel I've gone back and sung pieces of it, and you know I sang two of the arias for the for the Glyndebourne Cup final. Um, yeah. And I think I just connect. I connect to the the sad boy, <laughs> sad boy Hamlet. Um, I love I love playing a sad boy on stage. Right. Very different to your Papageno at the Met competition. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, it was even it was the worst. Well, he was technically sad because it was Papageno's suicide yeah. Yeah. aria. Okay. But um, you have something very exciting coming up, and you will be back on stage uh, soon. Knock on all the wood. Um, in, yeah. In Oslo, um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, so I am going back to Oslo. I've I've done two productions there already. My my European debut of Peleos, and and last year I did uh, Dandini in Generentola there. And I'll go back for my for a new production of Barber of Seville as Figaro. And it's been something that's been on the books for a while now. And it was a bit of a it was my you know my next uncancelled thing so for a while it was a bit of a question as to whether it was going to happen and they had been uh they had been producing shows in a kind of scenic concert format where they were arranging people um at a distance and um the audience of course is distanced and will be for our uh, production as well 200 people in a 1300 seat theater but the production itself um they have decided that you know, with with guidance from the government and the health organizations and everything in, in Norway, that we're actually okay to move ahead with the proper full production with dancers and chorus and, and people on stage with one another. And, you know, I, of course, as I say it out loud now, I'm like, oh, it's uh, it does, it does present risk, you know, and I and I hope for the best. And they've had a great track record of, um, of no incidents, basically, in these in these performances that they've done thus far, they've done two months of full performing, essentially on the stage, um, and and the dance. It's also a ballet company, the, the Norwegian National Opera and Ballet. So the, I know the ballet um, has been rehearsing, you know, twenty people in a room, sans mask, and um, there's knock wood, no no incidents. And so, uh, yeah, we get to go do real, real opera again. You know, it's not, it's not distanced. It's not, um, you know, and I think for that reason, there's a certain amount of trepidation as people, as we talk about it. Um, and they, you know, they did wait until one month in advance to even announce it, um, mm -hmm. which is very regular, obviously, for a, a big international company. But uh, we hope for the best, and and I think it's going to be a fun production too. I think the it's it's going to be a little on the darker side of comedy, in that um, mm. Rosina and Figaro are a, are a bit um, les enfants terribles, 
twins who live in the house together and they're, they're you know, teenage menaces essentially to uh, Bartlow mm -hmm. and so it'll be a fun a fun different take on it I've done very fun bright productions of of Barbiere in the past so I would, I'll be happy to explore a different side of the character Oh, it sounds, fun. sounds fantastic. I've got everything crossed yes, here, like yes. just for it to happen. Yes, me too. I, and I think it will. I think that there's there's great hope there. And um, mm. and that's just, you know, something to be said for ladies running things. The women who run that company, they really have figured out a way <laughs> to keep it all going and to act courageously and bravely within the framework that they have in their you know, in their given country, because I know obviously it differs um, greatly between mm. between all. Oh well, be yeah. best of luck with it. I'm very. I'll keep my eyes open on, on yeah, Instagram and yeah. everything to to follow yeah, you along with that. I'll be posting up a storm about it. So <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. I'm on a plane. Yeah, on a <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be a happy face or a face of sheer terror, <laughs> but uh, I'm on a plane. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> cool. Um, and, and just to just to round off, we have a lot of sort of young aspiring singers listening to this podcast, and especially during the challenging times of coronavirus, we're just wondering if you had any advice for young singers stepping out into the world of opera. My advice for young singers now is probably the same as my advice would have been for them if not for the coronavirus, and that is just to follow the natural um, path of your interests, you know, follow the natural path of your curiosities and the things that drive you uh, because that is always what will bring you to success in the end, you know? So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and Very it, good advice. It, Put, put the blinders on and follow your natural interests because whether whether it's coronavirus or not, mm -hmm. It's about being living living a happy life, and if you're, you know, if you're forcing this idea of you're not going to be happy until you're this level of successful, then um, the likelihood that you're happy at that level of successful is probably pretty low too. So you know, because you're always going to be striving. So if you're striving for something that's innately inside you, you have a much greater chance of of, of achieving that happiness. Very good advice. <laughs> Very good. Wow. <laughs> Improving up here. Okay. <laughs> fantastic. Fantastic improv. Um, where is it that people people can find you, Eddie, on online to follow you? People can follow me uh, on Instagram if you like. My I am at Edward Fury Nelson. That's F-U-R-Y. And yes, it is my actual middle name. Uh, <laughs> Oh really? Yeah, I was gonna it, ask that, yeah. um, but yeah, I was like, no, yeah, it's a, it's a common question. It is actually my middle name. Thank you, California hippie father. Uh, do you box <laughs> as a side hustle? <laughs> I people often said, "Oh, you should go by Edward Fury Nelson." Uh, and to go back to my original point of, I am not a perfect singer. So if you come out on the stage with a triple name and the, the triple is Fury, you better be flawless. And you better also be singing like crazy coloratura. You know, you, you have to be, you have to be doing something like totally extra. You know, if you're going to. You can't, you can't be Hamlet no. like the nice, the, the no, nice no, no, boy. No, 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 that doesn't work. 
something much more somber. <laughs> but thank you so much for being here and talking to us. This has been incredible to get to know you this way. And um, we hope for all the best. And we can't wait thank to hear so what else Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to be here with you today. All right. So, Ash. Boy, oh boy. This week's question. Favorite baritone. Now, we had so many people message in with favorite baritones, but I'd like to know from you, could you decide on your favorite baritone? Yeah, like it's it's really easy for me, um, just because I, I have a soft spot for Roderick Williams, because I, ha I have like, you know, I've worked with him um, several, a few times in the past, and um, I just really appreciate Roddy for who he is. He's a fantastic baritone. The sound of his voice is exquisite. And I really enjoy all of his um, lead concerts that he, he does with Oxford Leader and everything. But also, he's just a top guy. He's just really, really a cool guy. Um, but I feel like you're going to have more of a complex answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't decide because I freaking love the sound of Thomas Hempson's voice. Like, <laughs> butter on toast, you know, yeah. like a good Irish butter on a good piece of sourdough toast. Yes. Um, it's comfort, that's what it is. But then there's also like so many other baritones that I know that I'm like, Ronnie Williams, I'm like, that's also an incredible voice. And then if you go into like the bass baritones, then like it's a whole other ballpark and I just I couldn't decide but we got a lot a lot a lot of responses and they will all be on our stories and then saved onto our highlights because otherwise this podcast would be about an hour long or than it should be <laughs> uh, uh yeah an hour longer than it should be I was gonna say <laughs> yeah but um just honest uh no but we would like to thank you all so much for sending in your responses. We really, really enjoy receiving them. Um, so keep that up. It's great to uh, to receive them. But I will just say, um, Thomas Sampson and Roddy Williams did come up quite a bit in the responses. So we, we're not alone. Sorry, I'm very we sad. Alone. <laughs> I'm so close to doing it and I did it. And then I was just, and they started and I was just like, ah, gotta, I gotta do it. You say, Abby, even though we're probably about... I don't know, 20 miles away from each other. We're still on the same wavelength. <laughs> I just can't wait because I get to see you next week for a secret thing. Um, mm. But I just, I can't wait to see you. I know we won't be able to hug, yeah. but like touch elbows. No. Yeah. Oh, there'll definitely be some elbow bumping going on. And that is all for episode 48 of AA Opera. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. We really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Yes, and thank you so much to Eddie Edward Nelson Fury, Mr. Fury, if you may. Um, he is, you can find him on Instagram and you can find his website as well to find out more information about what he's up to and more of his like music creations and oh, or just like just in, to enjoy the beautifulness of this human. Just Go follow. Just go follow. Go follow. Go follow. And yeah, and if you would like to check out more of what we do, definitely come and check out our po our Patreon, which we forgot to mention. We have 
a live stream happening on Monday the 14th for all of our Patreons. So if you would like to come and join and ask questions and hang out and do a little bit of a fun uh, show and dance. Oh, well, we're going to light candles and talk maybe Christmas songs. Who knows? We haven't decided yet. We have plenty of time to decide. Beverages in hand as well. It's going to be a great night. So please head over to www.patreon.com slash aaopera and you can find out all you need yes. to know there. And uh, with that being said, have a great week. And uh, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Just everywhere. And check out the website. It's really active now that season four is back. So aaoperapod.com. And finally, thank you to our sponsors, Prime Phonic, for supporting us on this episode and in season four. Have a great week. Bye, guys. Bye.